Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I had the girls, my children, to myself for a few moments this week, and we were sitting down and we were having coffee together. They're only eight, so obviously I'd I, I drank all the coffee, but uh, we were just chatting and uh, I sat down with them. I was like, oh, you know, this is fun. I'm like, what would you, let's, let's have an adult conversation. I was like, if I were mommy and we were here, we have a girl talk. Like, what would you guys talk about? Like, let's have an adult conversation. And uh, they looked at me and one of them said, so how's your life? Right? <laughs> and, uh, which was, we laughed about it, and that's it, a, it's a question that has lingered uh, in the days since and will continue to hang around. I learned that the, the majority of adult conversation is very boring, and they don't enjoy it, but uh, apparently they think we talk about life uh, frequently, but it's, it's a question that I think is sort of tucked into what Aaron read for us uh, this morning, this list of kind of ethical uh, imperatives, commands, be kind, forgive, use your words to build up, like don't steal, right? really basic things. But sort of tucked in there is, is, is Paul, in a sense, helping us answer the question, so how's your life? Right? Like in a sense, telling us, uh, as he's done over and over again, this was your life, but now you've tasted God's grace in Jesus Christ. So let me help you see what your life can look like now, right? That in this moment, Paul does what he's done over and over and over again. In Ephesians, what we've seen week to week is that he, he first tells us that life starts with grace. It's a gift from outside of us. It is, it is um, a work of his grace and kindness in our lives. And he does it, it wasn't in the passage that we read, actually just in the few verses as he builds up to this moment. Therefore, he says, live this way. But, but sort of the context for that, therefore, is Paul once again telling us, on our own, we are broken and even more strongly dead. I mean, these are the words that fill the passage leading up to be kind to one another, all right? These, these are the words, alienated, ignorant, darkened, hard-hearted, callous, and then the sort of like dagger to the heart that shows up again, and we'll see it this morning. He says, you are prone to just give yourselves over to the cravings of your heart, right? You just, you live, he says, we, we live, this, this is how we are. We live giving ourselves up, he says, to the cravings, the things that we think will satisfy our needs, controlled in a sense by our desires. This, Paul says, was a picture of your life. This, this is us. This is the default setting in our hearts towards self-centeredness, toward doing whatever we can to meet the needs in our hearts and lives, given up to the cravings, desires of our hearts, slaves in a sense, to the greed of our own kind of needs, the things that we think we need, that we think will satisfy us. Paul says this is a picture of, of what life has been like. But, right, but he says, as he has said over and over and over again, God's grace has, has, has just, by no invitation from us, stepped in and created new life. He says it again just prior to our reading here, but now you have learned Christ. 
Christ in the story of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, he says. Think uh, specifically the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus wrapped up in that story of God's grace for you, he says. You have been made new. You've put off what, what is old and, 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 and you've been made new. He'll use language. It's a sharp contrast. You were alienated, broken, dead, given up to the just desires of your heart. He says, but by God's grace, he has created new hearts and minds in you, in us, right? That, that it's, it's a sharp contrast. Formerly there was corruption, brokenness, corruption, he says, but now there's new creation. Uh, that, that God is creating life. He's, he's creating new hearts and minds, has created new hearts and minds in, in us, which, which brings us back, brings us back to my daughter's question. So how's your life? Right. Paul is in, in our reading this morning, uh, telling us, right. So this is sort of the state of things on your own, man, we are broken people, but by the intervention of God's grace, we have been made new. And so now he helps us to see, well, well, this is what that new life looks like. This is what uh, Paul says in, in, in this passage. What I want us to maybe take away from this passage is that resting in that grace, the grace of God, creating new life where we are incapable of doing it ourselves, resting there, Paul says, we, we find uh, life now looks like grace lived out. That, that grace is, is lived. It, it finds expression that when we rest in it, when our hearts have been made new uh, by, by something other than our own effort, Paul says, well, the, 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 the picture, the image now of that new life is a life of that grace expressed to others. We might say grace is lived. It's lived. This is kind of the first, I suppose, point, if you will, in our uh, passage this morning that I want to make. We might call it what, what Paul gives us here as he says all these things, like put off falsehood and speak the truth and encourage each other and don't steal, but, but work hard and be generous and all these things. He's, he's giving us a picture of what grace in practice looks like. This, this is a picture of what, what grace looks like lived. And he, he, he hits really basic human experiences, right? Let's just consider them uh, for, for a moment or two. If we could maybe put the passage back up here, uh, right at the beginning, he says, right, put away falsehood and let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor because we belong to each other. As we saw last week, we, we, we walk worthy when we walk together. We need help seeing God's goodness, right? Sometimes you're up and I'm down and vice versa. And, and it can be hard to see or remember we need each other to to, to rest in that grace. But he, right off the bat, really simple. It's a speech, right? How we talk matters. It matters all over scripture. But, but here Paul says that grace lived will be expressed in the way in which we use our, our words. He'll go on in verse 29. He'll, it'll come up again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is, what is good for building up as fits the occasion, and then I love this qualifier, that it may give, give grace to others. That the way we speak to each other in community, to coworkers, all of that, he says, grace lived comes out in how we talk. Then in verse 30, this maybe somewhat odd phrase, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is he saying here? Well, I, I think a bit of what he's driving at here is, is he says, if, if, if together, right, if we, if, if the together bit of living life together 
is a work of the Holy Spirit, which he's told us over and over and over again in Ephesians that it is. This is something his spirit does. He gives us gifts. He helps us, uh, binds us together. He gives us gifts to encourage one another. This is a work of his spirit that if we're using our words to divide and, and, and slander and tear down, he says, then, then to do that is to, is to grieve that same spirit whose work has been to, to grow us together. So speech, right? Really, really, you know, this is real sort of rubber meets the road kind of stuff. This is the stuff I don't like to read when I'm fighting with Jess, right? (laughs) I don't want to have to think about uh, how grace should find expression in the way that I uh, use my words. He he goes on here, um, anger, right? Anger comes up in verse 26. Be angry and don't sin. Easy enough, right? Easy enough. Be angry and don't sin, he says. Uh, And and then in a few verses later, verse 31, he's going to bring together speech and anger and say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander, let all that be put away from you, along with all malice. Bringing together sort of an anger in us that is not good or gracious and there's speech and words that aren't good or gracious saying, we, you know, this, what the, how's your life? Well, a life marked by grace, uh, moves away from those things towards expressing grace, even in anger. I, I think, you know, Paul seems to allow, he says, be angry, right? Like there is a space for an anger that is appropriate. Um, you know, I, I, I think perhaps it's an anger that is focused on the needs of others, an anger that maybe arises in you when you see injustice or when someone you love is ill and sick and, and there's an anger that kind of grows in you wanting, uh, wanting what is good for them and not what is diseased or broken, right? That there's a space for anger. But Paul says, man, our default setting, right? <laughs> like our hearts kind of left to their own devices. They, they tend to land uh, in the sphere of bitterness and slander when it comes to anger. The kind of anger that is maybe more concerned about my own security than the needs of the people around me. The kind of anger that keeps me at the center, right? And tears others down, uh, others down rather outwardly or in- inwardly so that I can kind of feel a bit better about myself. Paul, again, right? Speech, anger, really basic human interaction here. And he says, all of these are changed by grace. How's your life? What does it look like? Grace has lived in these really, really common interactions. And then he he gives us some really positive pictures here. Verse 28, let no thief, uh, let the thief no longer steal, rather labor, do honest work with your hands so that you can share with others in need. And then he finishes in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. It's, it's again, just a beautiful picture, right? Even in our generosity, in the way we approach work, uh, in our kindness, uh, in our uh, uh, inclination towards forgiveness, which again has something to do with anger. Paul says grace is lived here. It's lived here. It has flesh. It's, it's, it's tangible. It's a series of contrasts, even in our passage, right? Like, uh, uh, don't steal, be generous. Uh, don't be corrupt, speak truth in a way that builds people up, right? Like, it's, it's a series of contrasts here that Paul is again and again saying, right? Don't slander, but forgive, right? Uh, painting a picture for us, man, this is what life is like outside of grace. But resting in the grace of God, all of this begins to, to change. In other words, I think what he's saying, I think what he's saying uh, in our reading this morning, 
is that the grace in which we rest, right? That, that we rest in God's gracious kindness to us. That when we, when we rest there, that that grace is lived. We live out of that place. It's lived together. So, you know, how's your life? What, what, what's, what's it look like? Well, it looks like when Christ settles in our hearts, it looks like grace lived out in how we relate to the people around us, which I think is important. It seems like, well, yeah, that's a no-brainer, right? But what I think it keeps us from doing is kind of compartmentalizing our Christian faith that it's, you know, if I have the right set of beliefs, if I tick this set of boxes, if, if you know, I kind of have this kind of great spiritual experience or however we want to qualify these things, it, it, it keeps us from sort of being able to do that because when we, when we know this gospel truth that God in his grace loves us and saves us, gives himself up for us, that when we rest here, that the inevitable result of that experience is a grace that is lived out. Paul will, after after our passage here, so we stopped in chapter 5, verse 2, um, but after that, Paul's going to go on and he's going to acknowledge, uh, again, we're not going to look at everything here. You'll forgive my sort of cliff notes. Some of you guys are like, yeah, you could cliff, cliff note it a little more, right? That'd be great. I'd like to cliff note your sermon, but anyway, uh, all right, that, that, that Paul's going to go on and acknowledge he's, you know, he's painted a picture. This is what your life was like, but this is what your life uh, can look like now because grace is finding expression in you. But he acknowledges, I get it. This is not your default setting. Right, this is not where we stay. He'll go on in chapter five, verse two, to to acknowledge, like, look, he'll use uh, other words like darkness and death and foolishness that that he'll, he'll he'll lean into again. I know he's like it's the pull of your heart to just give in to those cravings uh, in all kinds of spheres. Um, he says you, you, I, that's there. We're a slave to those cravings. He says I, I know that 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 is that is the inclination of our hearts, left unchanged and untouched by God's grace. In fact, he'll, he'll acknowledge that in such a way that a little bit later in chapter five, he'll say, well, so, so given all of this, this tendency in your life, look carefully how you walk, right? Look carefully how you walk, which I think at the beginning means, man, make sure you keep walking in grace. Rest here. Rest here. But, but he's going to, he'll continue to flesh that out. And again, we are, we are just cruising here through the letter, but we're going to land in some verses in chapter 5 that we didn't read this morning, but I think Paul uh, does something that uh, picks up themes from what we've read already. That as Paul is talking about the truth that grace is lived, it's lived, and that we're prone to kind of take other approaches, uh, he's going to say, uh, he's going to land in a place where he's going to help us see it in really concrete expression. That if this is kind of like practical behaviors, he's going to take an even deeper dive and say, well, let me show you what these behaviors look like in some really tangible relationships. And at the end of chapter five and the beginning of chapter six, uh, in fact, if, if there's kind of a single truth that we want to convey this morning, it's, it's where Paul takes us here. That grace is lived in everyday relationships. It's lived in everyday relationships. And the examples he will choose are not uh, comprehensive, though they cover a, a large scope of human experience. He's going he's gonna to pick up marriage. He's going to pick up parents and children, family and work, servants and masters. And, and, and in these broad sort of spaces of human experience, Paul says, lived grace. It has something to say about these really concrete places in your life. Each of these spheres, he says, 
Uh, in each of them, he describes what, what a lived grace looks like. In fact, in chapter uh, 5, verse 21, a, a verse that gets all sorts of attention, perhaps for all the wrong reasons, Paul gives us a phrase that will characterize grace in all of these relationships. And he says, without, uh, he, he says in, in 5.21, that, that the, the expression of grace in all of these relationships will look like submitting to one another out of reference to Christ. That we'll submit to each other. That grace will mean laying aside kind of my own interests, right? Which is what he's saying here, which is what is required in forgiveness and what is required to build others up and what is required to use my words to encourage, right? That, that I, will, I will kind of lay aside my own interests in submission to the needs of others. Paul says, right, I, I don't think you get there. I don't think you get there. Uh, you, you don't get to any of these sort of qualities, forgiveness, kind-heartedness. You don't get to any of those without in some way laying down our own interests and submitting to the needs and interests of others. So uh, here's what I'm going to ask you guys to indulge me for just a moment. Rather than kind of dig, take a deep dive into all these uh, like marriage and work and family. You guys are like, oh, it's going to be a long morning. I'm, we're just going to pick one. And uh, we're going to use it as kind of a test case, which is what Paul is doing. He's kind of, he, he's, he's chosen three examples, but he could have chosen any uh, number of others to kind of give us a picture. Well, this is what grace looks like lived in this really concrete way. So we're gonna, I'm going to use marriage uh, as a picture of grace lived um, in, in an everyday relationship. But my hope is that I'll hold it up for us in such a way that wherever you might find yourself in life, whatever everyday relationships kind of fill your life at the moment, you'll be able to see uh, maybe a little more clearly, well, this is what grace might look like lived uh, here. Does that make sense? Yeah, a little bit. No, please. It's hard to read behind your mask. So I'm just going to trust from their like wide, glassy eyes that, uh, that we're good. All right. So, uh, here, here's kind of marriage as an example. Again, as we've already noted, right? Paul is telling us the quality that will, the quality, uh, that will, that will mark the everyday relationships of your life with grace is, is submitting, uh, to each other. Right? And marriage, again, is but one example. In fact, though, for husbands, this is how s- strongly he will put it. He will say, in fact, right, uh, he, he's going to use the same phrase uh, towards the end of our passage. If we could go to the next one here, he's going to use the same phrase at the end of, uh, of verse 2, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Paul will say of husbands in the way that they should submit, uh, that they should do it in the, in the same way that Christ has loved and given himself up. That that is what submission will look like uh, for for us in in that relationship. In fact, it's a it's a really sharp contrast to what we referenced earlier about how we tend to go about things on our own. Remember, Paul said we give ourselves up to our desires. We're, we're kind of slaves to our cravings, what we think will fulfill us, what we need. And in contrast to that, Paul says Christ gave Himself up to love for others. We, we give ourselves up to our desires for ourselves. And he says, Christ gave himself up to love for us, for others. And I think Paul is helping us to see that, that in marriage, as in every relationship uh, in our lives, everyday relationship, this, this move is no less true. That if we're going to know, hey, oh, man, it's so gusty. Uh, thanks, Clint. If we're going to move uh, in grace in our everyday lives, it will require a setting aside of our own interests 
on behalf of the needs and interests of the other person. Uh, again, it sounds, it seems so simple, but this is a picture of grace, that if we're going to live grace into our everyday relationships, uh, there'll be a shift away from living for our own ends, right? In the same way that Christ uh, gave himself up, we, we will step into giving ourselves up for others. So what's all this got to do with marriage, Matt? Or in, in whatever relationship, maybe types of relationships. Again, he talks about parents and children, and uh, he talks about work, right? All, all these spheres, well, I think marriage is interesting. It, it, again, it's a characteristic of so many other relationships, probably all of them. But I, my hunch is we typically tend to think of marriage as a kind of like need fulfillment negotiation, right? Like, which is, you know, the, the softer word we use for that is compatibility. Like, are we compatible, right? <laughs> like, like we, we tend to think that like I bring, which is true, I bring needs, you bring needs, they're all a little bit different. And, and so the, marriage becomes this sort of back and forth of negotiating uh, the different needs that we bring to the table and, and trying to kind of sort all of that out and, and make, make sense of it. You know, again, we use words like, are we compatible? All of that's really important. You know, you got to think through that. We bring histories, we bring all this into it, but, but it, it becomes this kind of back and forth of negotiation. Kind of the fulfillment of, of our needs. And we, we, t- we t- typically tend to view marriage kind of like that, whatever romanticized view we might have of these relationships, which is fine again. But I think if we just, if we take that all the way down, right, at its like root level, what, what we've done then to this relationship, which again is true of so many, is we've made it a kind of like tit for tat approach, right? It's kind of a back and forth and what is fair for you and me. And, and we got to make sure we kind of keep everything even and, and just kind of, you know, got to keep the, the, what are the, the imagery of like, we got to keep the bank drafts good, you know, I'm going to keep putting deposits in so you can kind of keep everyone stays happy, right? Like you don't want to make too many withdrawals because then there's an imbalance. And, and again, all of that is true. We're, we're human. That's, that's, that's an, a way in which we step into relationship. But, but I would suggest to you, based on what we've read here, what we, what we, we think of when we talk about grace is that that is great, but that is approach, that, that is an approach that will never be lived grace, right? That as long as we stay there, as long as our marriage or whatever that friendship or relationship is, as long as it stays there, that kind of scorekeeping back and forth, that will never be grace. That will never be lived grace because, because it keeps our own needs at, at the center, and as Paul has said over and over again, that's the default position of the human heart, right? I mean, I'm not arguing that that's not, but it keeps our own needs at the center. Instead, he says, grace, when we rest in the, the, the pattern, the, 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 the gift that Christ has given us, but it's expressed in our lives that he gave himself up, submitted himself to others, when that finds its way into how I relate to my spouse or my sibling or, or my children, that it then it, it shifts the focus away from kind of what I need in this relationship. Let me see if I can illustrate it, all right? I, uh, maybe this, again, I'm just trying to help us, like, see it. Uh, Richard Seltzer is a physician, a doctor who has written about his experience over the years, various memoirs, and he wrote one called Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery. And he was performing a surgery on uh, a young wife, and uh, who had a tumor on her face, and this uh, he kind of kind of writes about that experience, and he shares that that in removing the tumor from her face, he had cut a nerve 
they had, they had cut a nerve in the process in her cheek that had left her face in a perpetual kind of twisted smile, right? Unnatural. Um, and uh, she was waking from uh, anesthesia, and he was in the room, and the young husband was in the room. And um, he said as she was waking, she was kind of, uh, you know, taking in sort of this new image of what her life for her face would look like, um, kind of appraising, you know, her new self in a sense. She asked the question, will my mouth always look like this? And the physician says uh, that uh, he, he, he nodded, Seltzer in that moment nodded and said, yeah, you know, um, yes. But then in that moment, he, uh, again, being privy because of his role, just really close to everything that was happening, the husband, he said in that moment, uh, looked at her and, uh, and smiled and said, oh, it's kind of cute. He said, I, 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 I like it. And uh, Seltzer goes on to write about that moment and says it, it, was, it, it hit me at once. Uh, he said, the word he used was epiphany, which means I had, I had a vision of God, he said, in, in that moment. He said, all at once, I, I, knew what, I knew what God was like. I knew who he was. He said, I understood, right? And I lowered my gaze because you never, he says, you, you all, you, 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 you're never bold in an encounter with just with God, in this case, a full-on expression of grace. It's like you're never bold in, in that space. He said, unmindful, like the young husband, sort of, again, not uh, just, just unmindful, that he said he leaned in uh, to kiss his, his wife's crooked mouth. And uh, Seltzer says, I was so close. I was, again, uncomfortably close that I'd been, I watched him twist his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still worked, right? That sounds an awful lot. It sounds an awful lot like he loved us and gave himself up for us, right? Submitting to the needs of the other, laying down kind of our own interests in this moment, this young couple, and, and instead, out of grace, uh, giving expression in an everyday relationship to what it might look like to live like Christ. Now, you're like me, maybe, maybe, and you're thinking, wow, that's incredible, right? You're like, it's such a beautiful picture, but it's one for way out there, right? Like, I, that, that doesn't touch my sort of lived experience of marriage or any other relationship, and, 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 and it seems somewhat distant. Well, let me see if I can help us bring it just a little closer to home, right? Again, maybe in a way that's less sort of grand and much smaller. I, uh, <laughs> I think maybe I would ask you to consider, again, we're talking about what all of these qualities, kindness, forgiveness, encouragement, generosity, what do they look like lived in a concrete relationship like marriage? And I, I maybe would suggest to you one, one, one way, uh, maybe in a smaller, more uh, accessible way to think about listening. Like what does listening look like in whatever your everyday relationships are? Maybe they're at work. I've chatted with a few folks talking about, we shared it last week, a story of at work and stress and life being so large, but, but you have to listen to hear it as coworkers are talking and dealing with all that stress. But what does listening look like in your life? It's, it's really small, but I think it's a beautiful picture of submission. You cannot, we cannot really listen to anyone without laying aside our own interests and making theirs the center, 
right? Any kind of listening where I kind of, maybe I'm planning what I'm going to say next, or I'm thinking about, oh, I can relate to that experience, or all those things. Again, it kind of just keeps me in the, the center there, that genuine listening is, is in itself an act of submission, submitting to one another, placing your needs uh, above my own. I'd like to tell you that I, you know, am really good at it, and uh, Jess would tell you the truth, <laughs> Right? Uh, I heard, uh, again, someone, uh, her name is Mary Zoll. She was talking about, uh, has written a bit about listening, the discipline, the practice of listening to God, to each other, to ourselves. And uh, she made the observation, like, if you go in public, maybe less so now, but if you go in public, you just listen to the conversations around you. No one is listening. Everyone is just, we're just taking turns talking, right? Which would certainly be true of life online, right? But, but no one is really listening because our needs and interests are still at the center of the conversation. We're all just taking turns, talking. And she goes on to say, though, that, that listening well, like listening well, as a picture, again, remember, this is a picture of grace that we can give to the people around us. It doesn't require you to change your mind. Right? It doesn't require that, but it does require a willingness to sacrifice, at least temporarily, any expression of what I think is right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit. I'm going to lay down my own interests and, and instead center yours. It is a picture of, of grace. It's a picture of what it might look like to live in marriage with traits like forgiveness and encouragement and generosity, traits that come up as behaviors in our reading this morning. Paul will uh, encourage us, will say to us in this moment, will say to us that grace, grace is fleshy. It's, it's tangible. It's lived. It's, um, again, just... It's not some distant spiritual experience. Instead, it is, Paul will say, just really, really, really practical. I, uh, I think, uh, in, in my own experience of counseling, um, re- receiving it, not receiving it, not, not giving it, uh, I think probably the greatest takeaway for me has been the nudge towards grace. The nudge towards, towards the truth, the reminder that I need it. That I, I need it. I need God's grace in, in my life. But not only that, that I need it, right? I haven't only, also, only found grace for myself, but I've also been able to identify more clearly grace in my life from others. I've seen its expression uh, gifted to me in, in my life. But then also, I think it's helped, me, it's helped me step into living grace for others as well. Not just for myself, not just from others, but, but for others as well. Because I think, I think, again, marriage is but one example. What Paul is driving at here, uh, regardless of the specifics of the relationship, grace is necessary because it understands that, that at root, we are selfish. That we are bent towards ourselves and our needs. And, and uh, you know, the churchy word for that is sin. <laughs> but the maybe more appropriate word is selfishness. And grace knows that. Acknowledges that. Admits that I need something from outside of myself. A gift. And that when I rest in that gift, the gift of Christ's love for me, it then changes the way I step into all of the relationships around me that I need the help of one who loves us, gave himself up for us. And that the more that I rest there, 
love, the greater expression that grace will find in my life. I, I saw a headline this week. I think it was NPR, but they were writing about, uh, it, was, it kind of touched all these areas, work, parenting, uh, career, all in the midst of a pandemic. And that the headline title said, I come up short every day. I come up short every day. And here I think is the rub. It's, it's what Paul is telling us. Even as he gives us all these commands, it's why he lands with, you're gonna be imitators of God and rest in the truth that Christ has given himself up for us because on our own, we come up short every day. So we're gonna take communion together as a, as a, as a tangible move into resting in his love. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.